Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. I am back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined by nobody. This is a solo pod. We got my man Colby Powell. He's on a ski trip. I've been trying to line up uh, Kyle Porter to come on the podcast. He's so busy with golf right now. We had something lined up, and he gets busy with all of his duties at CBS with the podcast, the First Cut podcast. Y'all should check that out if you're a fan of golf. He also does TV work for their their online platform that runs like 24-7. So he's really busy, but I'm hoping to get him for a, a two-parter because he and I have so much to catch up on. But so for the meantime, we're going to do a solo pod. And I asked for questions on Twitter. I'm going to get to those. Oklahoma State with a big win today over Texas Tech uh, to end the season. No, no postseason for them. No Big 12 tournament. Obviously, no NCAA tournament. But a nice win against a 12th-ranked Texas Tech team. So a good finish for the Oklahoma State men's basketball team. But before I get to that and your Twitter questions, first let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I guess i got to start with the the most recent event, the uh, Oklahoma State men's basketball game against Texas Tech. They were down late, and as this team just time and time again does, even if they don't win the game, they just go on these furious rallies late, and Bryce Thompson hits a clutch three to beat Texas Tech, and again, a, a good win to end the year, uh, kind of lifts the spirits of uh, everyone on the team. It's much better than losing your last game when you considering you can't play in the postseason, but just kind of ends a just kind of a strange season for Oklahoma State. And I did get a lot of questions about Mike Boynton and the, and the future of the the men's basketball program, but just kind of a weird season with the NCAA ban looming over them, the fact they can't play in the Big 12 tournament. There were some highs, there were some lows, and a lot of disjointed basketball in between. And so, uh, but before I get to all that, I, everywhere I go lately around town, I, I run into folks that either know me or, or don't know me. And I'm sure you guys listen to the podcast are wondering how life's been outside of the television world. If you don't know, I used to be a sports anchor at Channel 5 in Oklahoma City for about 10 years. I was uh, at Channel 4 before that for about two and a half. So about close to 13 years total, I was a sports anchor in Oklahoma City. And it was a dream job. I mean, I got to cover the Fiesta Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Orange Bowl, all the biggest bowl games there are. I got to cover college football playoff games. Uh, I got to cover the NBA Finals. That still remains probably the best trip I was ever on. We were in Miami for about a week just down the street from LeBron's house in uh, Coconut Grove, Florida, which is what, kind of a ritzy part of Miami. So I got to do uh, some amazing things. I went to college at Oklahoma State, studied broadcast journalism, got a job in my hometown. I'm from Edmond, and I uh, got to work under Bob Berry Jr. at Channel 4. And it was just the thrill of a lifetime. It, it really was. And I just I kind of reached the point where Working nights, weekends, holidays had kind of run its course. I was just kind of ready to do something else. And I'm now the public relations manager at Oklahoma Blood Institute. It's been fantastic. I I love the team that I work with. I do a lot of PR for them. That's handling the media, putting out press releases, uh, doing lots of things within the company. And 
if you're wondering how I ended up there, I actually, while I was a sports anchor at Channel 5, I just, I decided I wanted to volunteer somewhere because, you know, I can only play so much golf <laughs> during the day. I can only go to the gym so often. I kind of felt like I needed to do something a little more, you know, worth, worth my time and worth other people's time. And that was volunteering. And I kind of just put my name into a volunteer website, ended up, uh, Oklahoma blood Institute were the first people that called me and they had this, they had a lot of volunteer positions opened and, uh, they, they still do. If you're, if you're curious about helping them out, they have plenty of volunteer opportunities as well, but they had a, a courier position, which is basically you get to drive around. I, I drove the blood from OBI and the, the plasma and blood and all the products that, that they have to the hospitals and then would do returns from the hospitals or just drop them off and just kind of drive around and, and still do what I normally did, which was listen to sports talk radio or listen to podcasts. And it kind of, it was, it was awesome. I did it once, uh, once a week and it was just kind of a nice thing to do. And this PR role that I have now came up, they, they created this position and uh, they didn't create it with me in mind, but I was already kind of looking at other opportunities and this came about and it just, it was a perfect fit. So I, I haven't really gone in depth on my career change on the podcast. I wanted to kind of get that in there and it's been, it's been awesome. Played golf today. Don't have to go back to work. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, I think it's a good change. And then something that um, I was kind of, concerned i guess because like my entire existence since college had been on television talking about sports i wondered how that transition would be but it's been pretty seamless and i've really enjoyed it for for all of you that happen to be listening and maybe wondering where i went or what i'm doing now or how it's been going that's that's kind of what's going on with me i've, I've really really enjoyed it and i haven't looked back so it's been uh, and i'm again I'm, I'm very grateful to koco they gave me a tremendous opportunity to uh, to anchor uh two or three times a week. It's an opportunity I didn't have prior to coming to KOCO, so I'm forever indebted to them, and it was a really a, a dream job, and um, just it was time for something different, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with the, the way things have gone so far. I've been at my new job about six months, and it's going really well. But um, let's get back to Oklahoma State men's basketball. Again, they, they beat Texas Tech. Kind of just, uh, they, they end up 500 on the year, and I did get a lot of questions on Twitter. I put out some a call for Twitter questions for a solo podcast and a lot of questions about just kind of the future of the men's basketball program. And I, I see both sides of this. I do on one hand, I, I get people are frustrated with the results this year and mainly as a whole under Mike Boynton, he's been to one NCAA tournament has not won an NCAA tournament game. He's basically, he took over the job kind of in turmoil and it's been turmoil pretty much ever since. You know, Brad Underwood kind of pulls a Lincoln Riley, leaves under the uh, under the, the nightfall, and you never never to be seen again. Gets a, gets a big big pay raise and bounces after one season. And then Mike Boynton, who we didn't know, takes over, kind of wins our hearts, starts recruiting like gangbusters. Gets Cade Cunningham. Cade takes them to NCAA tournament. They don't win a game there. That was frustrating. And I think a lot of people are wondering. Um, you know, what, what's, what's the future look like with, with the men's basketball program? And Aaron Yunt, uh, Yount uh, says, I know this is a weird question after W, but was the Boynton extension a bit premature? I'm not saying to fire him by any means, but it is becoming evident just how much Cade carried the team last season. 
and this is kind of what I was getting at where I understand frustration of folks and I, I kind of understand it from my own standard. I mean, I was very critical. Extreme, I was probably the most critical person about Travis Ford and I could see it early on in his tenure. They were just totally disorganized. He couldn't recruit a big man. He basically was just hoping Keaton Page could save him early on in his career. And Keaton Page was a Sean Sutton recruit. Marshall Moses, Sean Sutton recruit. Once those two left, he didn't have a whole lot until he got Marcus Smart. And that kind of stemmed the tide a little bit. And they were good, and they just underachieved and didn't didn't win a tournament game uh, with those guys. And so I, I try to hold Mike to the same standard I held to Travis Ford. It's just with this NCAA nonsense, and that's what it is. It's complete nonsense, the ban they got. I mean, everyone agrees. We've been over it a million times. So I, I struggle with where I'm at with it. But this is ultimately where my opinion lies. And I would love to come at you with a hard-hitting take. That this is how it is unequivocally. That's... I try to give you guys strong opinions, and that's that's why I do this show. I think that's why you listen. I'm not trying to beat around the bush. I, I like to tell it exactly how I feel and exactly how I, I view th- the way things are going. And I think Mike needs to take a serious look at adding shooting to the roster. Obviously, he recruits long, athletic freakazoids, <laughs> for lack of a better word. He, he recruits at a higher level than Oklahoma State's really ever recruited at. I mean, to get a Musa Cisse is just big time. To get Bryce Thompson via transfer as well is just big time. And then obviously the Cade Cunninghams of the world speak for themselves. He's recruiting at an extremely high level. Obviously his approval rating is still really high despite the way the last, you know, this season has gone. I just would, here's where I ultimately lie with it is this reminds me so much, so much of the early tenure of Scott Drew at Baylor. And what I mean by that, a lot of people were questioning Scott Drew's acumen coaching, me especially. I thought he was not a very good coach. He recruited really well, didn't win with a lot of really good, talented players early on in his tenure. Then he goes to a couple Elite Eights. Next thing you know, he just is coming off winning the national championship. And I'm not sitting here saying that Mike Boynton's going to win the national title at Oklahoma State. But what I am saying is if he keeps recruiting at the level he's been recruiting at, Year in, year out, I do think he needs to add some shooting. But at a certain point, Scott Drew recruited too well to fail. And that's kind of what I'm, where I'm thinking Mike Boynton can go. A lot of criticism about his coaching. I do think they underachieved this year despite the ban looming over their head. I thought they were more talented than their record showed this year. But I would, just, I would encourage everyone out there to... to have some patience because I do think if he continues to recruit at this level, he's just going to start stacking classes on top of each other. Now it's, it is a little bit of a different era now with the transfer portal, mind you, but I think he, Mike's already to a point where he's starting to overwhelm some teams athletically. You kind of saw that at the end of the game against Texas tech. They're just, they're hard to score on because they're so long. They're so athletic. I wish he would run and gun a little more with how athletic they are, but that's where I'm at with Mike Boynton. I think I think you, you obviously don't fire him. I don't think anyone's calling for him to be fired, just like the question uh, prefaced it with that. But I am encouraged in that he's he's in the, his foot's in the door of recruits that Oklahoma State simply was not getting their foot in before him. 
That even goes to to Travis Ford, Marcus Smart notwithstanding. That goes even, you know, Sean Sutton had that, obviously, the number one recruiting class in the country. Past that, we really haven't seen a coach recruit at the level Mike Boynton is. So I would just, I'm going to preach patience with him. I do think he needs to add some shooting, as I've mentioned, but ultimately I do think he's going to continue to add recruiting class on top of recruiting class. And if you just keep getting four and five stars, it's going to click at some point. That's just, I, I, he just reminds me so much of the early years of, of Travis Ford. And so that's kind of where, where I land on that. Uh, next to Twitter question, Zach McGinty asks, who is the most annoying slash love to hate OU player of all time? Some of his were Brian Bosworth. It's a great suggestion. Tim Heskett, an outstanding suggestion. Blake Bell, the Bedlam superhero, Antichrist, whichever way you want to term it based on your allegiance. Uh, and Baker Mayfield is also his last one. For me, I grew up in the heyday of Kelvin and Eddie. I mean, I lived and breathed OSU basketball. Football wasn't a big deal back then. And those were some absolute wars. I mean, you talk about bedlam hatred at its finest. Was Kelvin running onto the court in his denim shirt after Victor Williams hit a game-winning shot and not getting teed up, and me and my dad yelling for him to get a tee. He didn't get one. So my my least favorite OU player... It's from that era of basketball, and I kind of went back and forth between Rinzai Stone and Eduardo Nahara. And, man, I hated Eduardo Nahara. Sports hated, that is. He, I thought he was a dirty player. I thought he was, he was nasty. I thought he was a really good player, which made him easy to hate, too. Obviously, he played in the NBA for a long time as well. He's one of the best players in OU's history. So I... I might go with him, but I kind of want to go with Rinzai Stone because he talked the most trash and was just a role player. He just, he just always was barking at the fans, at players. And I'm, I'm risking my, uh, my public relations (laughs) standing in the city because Rinzai has gone on to be a very prominent uh, business figure here in the Oklahoma city area. He's done really well for himself. And, and obviously this is sports hate. It's not real hate, but I could, I could not stand Rinzai Stone. And he, I'll even take it a step further. There was a guy named Joseph Zindre who, who eventually became kind of the strength and conditioning guy for OU men's basketball when I covered the team. He was always there. He was like the big Russian dude that was on the bench, barely played, but had the most to say. I had them always talking smack, always hooting and hollering on the bench. You know those guys that are always on the bench that make the most noise, that aren't playing. Those, that's the best way to get into my bedlam uh, hate hard is if, if you're not even like a star player and you're talking all the trash that those are my least favorite so I would probably I'll probably go Nahara though just because he kind of epitomized Kelvin Sampson basketball and I couldn't stand Kelvin Sampson or Kelvin Sampson basketball so I'll, I'll go with Eduardo I'll, but there's some some honorable mentions for you in terms of uh, my least favorite uh, Bedlam player and let's see here uh, this is from Ross Redman, and I'm going to get to Jelani Woods in a sec. I just kind of want to get through some of these other ones first. Why isn't Malcolm Rodriguez getting more draft hype? I distinctly remember a local radio personality saying Rodriguez was the best defensive player in the Big 12 last year, but doesn't believe he's a guy we'll see on Sundays. And I struggle with this because we all know how great of a player Malcolm Rodriguez is and, and was at Oklahoma State. He's just very... 
and it's not like he's small height wise. He's five eleven. The guy I, I wanted to compare him to a lot was Zach Thomas. You know, uh, NFL player, played forever, made a million Pro Bowls. The Miami Dolphins played college football at Texas Tech. He's kind of a, he's five eleven, but he's he weighed two forty five. Malcolm Rodriguez two twenty five. You just you don't see many middle linebackers or even outside linebackers for that matter weighing two twenty five. So he's kind of in that tweener zone where is he a safety at the next level? Is he a linebacker? I know he's a football player. We all know that. I envision him going undrafted. Now, I think he's about to run his 40 time as I'm taping this. Uh, I think he's going to run a fast time, and maybe that will turn some heads. It's just when you get to the the NFL Combine, and he was invited, which that, that certainly would help his stock being there. But – you got to remember these scouts, their livelihoods on the line here. Is there a scout that's going to really beat his hand on the table and say, we have to draft Malcolm Rodriguez. And if he does, and Rodriguez just gets bowled over by these massive offensive linemen and, you know, NFL type players, that scouts jobs on the line for, for taking that leap. And so many times you see these scouts just go with the safer option. The guy that has the measurables. And if that guy fails, They'll say, look, he, he had all the measurables. It's not my fault. He just didn't have the, you know, the the mentality or the X factors that you, you can't quantify. I did my job. So I think that's where it's going to hurt Malcolm is just he's, he's 5'11 and 225. Now he's going to be fast. Maybe he can play safety. He obviously played that in high school. I don't know. But if he's, un, if he's an undrafted free agent, I am willing to bet that when he gets into a camp and they just put him on the field – He's going to make a ton of plays, and he might force the team's hand to sign him to the practice squad or even further because we all know how great of a football player he was. I, th- I thought he was the best linebacker in college football last year. That includes anybody you want to include from Georgia that's going to get drafted really high in the first round. I don't, I don't care. That guy was a difference maker. And I, I went as far as to say I think he's one of the best defensive players Mike Gunny's ever had. I mean, he might be – and I, I tried to think about this on the podcast with Colby. I mean, Emmanuel Ogba comes to mind. Certainly, um, Ugo Chinas was a great defensive uh, lineman. Markel Martin was a first-team All-American at safety. They've had a lot of great defensive players. Uh, Malcolm Rodriguez is near the top of the list for me, not only for his longevity, but the, the last year he had. Just sensational on one of the best defenses. I think the second best defense in the entire country. So he's just kind of fighting an uphill battle. Those NFL types, man, they do not like to go out on limbs for undersized um, athletes, especially at the middle linebacker position. That's just kind of how it goes. So that's kind of where I, I am with Malcolm. Hopefully he runs a really good time and, and turns some heads with that. But um, – that's kind of where I am with, with Malcolm Rodriguez. Let's see here. What other questions we got? Look, I, I probably need to hit on Jelani Woods before I go any further. Uh, you've seen the tweets. He's just absolutely annihilating the combine. Um, what was the tweet I had? Let's see here. He ran a really good uh, – he caught the ball excellent. Remember all the people telling me, oh, Jelani can't catch, Carson. Give it a rest. He can't catch. That's why I'm not throwing him the football. And I'm sure people on Twitter are tired of me coming coming at this subject, but it was so annoying to me that 
you have this guy who's 6'7", can run, can obviously catch, despite what Twitter will tell you, and on an offense that needed playmakers outside of Tywin Wallace through the air. And I just, I've never, I never understood the lack of utilization of Jelani Woods. And so I'm, I'm not going to let it go. I'm not. And there's one thing about the Mike Gundy era. And I, and look, I was wrong about Mike to start the year. I thought he'd only won about 64% of his games over the previous four years. I thought they were on a downward slide. Totally wrong on that. I own that. I've been wrong plenty on this podcast, but I was absolutely right. On Jelani Woods. I own the, the L's. I'm also going to own the W's. And I think it's just frustrating. And Jelani's kind of the latest in a, in a line of players that you could tell in the moment weren't being utilized on an offense that frankly needed to utilize playmakers. I call them the Tyreek Hill All-Stars. We all know about Tyreek. Barely caught the football at Oklahoma State. They're running him off tackle. Now he's like the most electric receiver the NFL's ever seen. Probably going to be a Hall of Famer the way his career's going. He didn't even play wide receiver at Oklahoma State, barely. He had way more carries than, than catches. Uh, Blake Jarwin, he's been in the NFL a long time, barely threw in the football. He caught a few, had a few touchdowns. I thought he was a real weapon. I, I remember doing pregame shows for the sports animal, and Gideon Hamilton would ask me, what's kind of a key for this game. And I just thought, hey, they need to get Blake Jarwin involved. That guy's a, that guy's a dude. I think he's going to play in the NFL. And they just didn't really utilize him. And I think that's kind of my bigger criticism just of the cowboy back position. And Adam Lunt had a really good thread on this earlier today. He kind of touched on the importance of the cowboy backs and blocking. And that's where Jelani will learn learned a lot of his his blocking skills and technique that he'll use at the next level, and I I certainly agree with that. I just think when they're playing not Jelani Woods, but, you know, the the Braden Cassidy's of the world, the uh, kind of the lumbering tight end that's almost essentially a blocker. And, look, it works in the run game sometimes. We we can all agree they didn't run the ball like the the 94 Nebraska Huskers uh, with I just I don't understand this desire to always have the cowboy backs out there because what I, in my opinion it, it, Logan Carter's of the world th- those types is who I'm getting at. I just think it makes you really one dimensional. I mean, does anyone think they're going to be airing it out to Logan Carter and Braden Cassidy? Of course not. So while they may be great run blockers, I just think that it allows the defense to tee off on you, and I just. Jelani Woods was such a weapon, I thought. He was 6'7". He had 13 more catches this year at Virginia than he did in his three years at Oklahoma State. So he clearly made a great move for himself. Um, clearly. But I just it's frustrating when these guys end up having better NFL careers. Chris Carson. I'll chalk that a little bit up to injury. Chris Carson hurt his hand at Oklahoma State. Didn't get to play as much as he probably would have hoped to due to injury. But that guy was like immediately one of the best running backs in the NFL as a seventh round pick. And I just, that's, that's just a slight criticism I have of you got these guys and it just doesn't, it just doesn't always seem like they, they put them in the best positions to succeed. It doesn't always seem like they utilize the talent they have. They just kind of foothold them into the offense they want to run where I think it should always be the opposite. Like when you got Spencer Sanders, I'm running zone read 
60, 70% of the time because he's such a threat with his legs. And that opens up the, you know, the zone read game, the, the RPO game. And I just, I feel like they try to just run off tackle with the Cowboy backs. And so Jelani ran a 4-6-140 at 6-7, 24 reps on the bench for 225 pounds. <laughs> you think, and a lot of people tweeted this at me, you, you think it would have might have been good to throw to him instead of Tyler Lacey in the Big 12 championship game? I think so. And again, the, it, Mike Gundy's done an outstanding job. We all know this. I can preface it with all those things. We all know this. I don't have to tell you guys this. It's just a very frustrating thing. I, and I haven't even hit on my boy Tyron Johnson, who's still in the NFL <laughs> and could barely play at Oklahoma State. So it's just it's a frustrating thing, but I, I do wish Jelani best. He, he clearly made a fantastic move for himself. He bet on himself by going to not a place that a lot of people would have really expected him to, to ball out at, at Virginia, but he, he played really well. And uh, it's just it's kind of frustrating to see him just tearing it up when, you know, everyone – that would come at me and say, oh, well, he can't catch. Well, yeah, yes, he can. He may have had a drop in his, you know, 20 targets he had the entire year. <laughs> but, and, you know, maybe maybe Spencer Sanders somewhat to blame for that, for not throwing to him. Maybe he was running plenty of routes. I don't know. But it just it felt like he was very, very underutilized. Um, some more questions about basketball from Justin Dunn. Do you think there's a chance Isaac likely comes back? Either way, you don't think it's a reasonable thing to think OSU – basketball could contend for the big 12 next year well that's a big leap based on what i saw this year uh they're not getting kate the next kate cunningham next year so i don't really know what to expect from oklahoma state next year other than i I don't expect isaac likely to be back he did kind of his senior day today against texas tech i think it's just one of those things where you've been in college a long time man you're ready to go make some money tired of going to school i get it um and likely had a really good career at oklahoma state he was committed to Texas Tech. I'm sure part of him wonders. I mean, I'm sure he's happy with his decision, but you know, you, you see Texas Tech where they're at now, and obviously they made the the NCAA title game. Uh, maybe part of him wonders, had he gone to Tech, what would have happened with his career? But he put, he was really really good, uh, especially last year. I thought he had it outstanding, and this year was kind of kind of a weird year for him, just like it was for the entire team. So, but I, I don't expect likely uh, to be back. Uh, thoughts on the state of the basketball program is from uh, Poke Fanatic 1945. Next year seems like the same roster and minus Williams and adding one recruit. Interesting to see your take on what may change if you've heard anything regarding coaching. Haven't heard anything regarding coaching, but um, it, it, it's so strange now with the, a lot of you guys have a COVID year. I do expect Mike Boyne to heavily invest in the transfer portal. Um, I actually ran into Mike. Uh, we were doing an interview with him about a year ago. And he told me he didn't even recruit a high school kid that cycle. He was all transfer portal guys. And so I think next year we're going to see, you know, Bryce Williams moving on as well. He's exhausted his eligibility. I think we'll see more transfer portal guys. And that's been pretty successful for Mike. So I just, I think not only just Oklahoma State basketball, but basketball in general, it's going to be just kind of a revolving door with the transfer portal and and guys moving if they're not playing and, and things of that nature. But I do think they have some pieces with, with Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson. Avery might go pro. He tempted the waters last year. I don't think he really had a great season to do that this year, but he might go. Uh, Bryce Thompson, I think, can, can kind of be the guy next year. Hit a great three to, to beat Texas Tech today. So that it's – 
the entire state of OSU men's basketball has got to be question mark for me. I don't know where they go from here. I just know that, as I mentioned before, there's the thirst for OSU men's basketball is still there, despite what's really been just, man, it's been like quicksand since Sean Sutton's, uh, since they let Sean Sutton go and Travis Ford. It just felt like they've been kind of stuck in quicksand and just kind of sinking. And every time they kind of get their, their head above the sand, like the, the great year that Brad Underwood had, losing the first round, bounces. Totally rips the rug out from Oklahoma State men's basketball, right when they were filling the building. Mike Boynton, end of, end of the year, his first and second year, the building's packed. This NCAA stuff happens. It just, they cannot seem to get out of their own way. And I'm just, I'm looking forward to the day where OSU's basketball is back to where it's supposed to be because that arena can still fill up if they're good and there's a reason to go. It's just college basketball as a whole and as a product is just nowhere near what it used to be. Like I grew up with, as I mentioned, with the Eddie and Kelvin days and just th- think about the 2004 Final Four team with Tony Allen, John Lucas, Daniel Bobick, Ivan McFarlane. Those are all seniors. The whole starting lineup, seniors upperclassmen throughout the, the starting eight or nine, the first eight or nine. You don't see that anymore in college basketball. And it's suffered as a whole, as a product. It's just nowhere near the caliber it used to be. And that's not me being the guy that I walked uphill both ways to school. That's just how it is. If you're any good at all, you go pro or you go play in Europe somewhere. That's just that's the shift we've seen in college basketball. And I, I hate it. I wish they would change the eligibility rules to where if you want to go pro out of high school, if you, if you think you're LeBron, go for it. But if you come to school, you got to stay for three years, kind of like football or baseball. I think that would really help the product because not all these guys, so many guys turn pro and don't get drafted. And it's just, it's killing the college basketball game as a whole. Speaking of, my man Dave Hudson, OKC Dave, you know him. He does the, the, sur- the fan survey every year going into football season. He asks... This basketball team reminds me of the 2002-2003 teams. Uh, Victor Williams, Melvin Sanders, Ivan McFarlane. Limited offense, great defense. Which team would you take in a series? Well, I'm going to try not to be too nostalgic here. I need to look up the record of the 2002-2003 team. I would be willing to bet they didn't go 500. Uh, that's for sure. And I think Victor Williams, to me, is a player that really kind of gets lost in history. I mean, he certainly was a fan favorite. Everyone remembers Victor Williams. But, man, he was such a good player. I mean, he he is probably better than people remember. He had that just quick pull-up at the free-throw line. Okay, so the 2002-2003 the team went 22-10. and 10. They were fourth in the Big 12. Uh, I'm taking that team over this year's team. And that's that's pretty easy, in my opinion. I know they're similar defensive-wise and struggled offensively. But you never had to worry about Victor Williams going and getting a bucket. You have to worry about Avery Anderson going and getting a bucket. You have to worry about Bryce Thompson going and getting a bucket. You didn't have to worry that, about that with Victor. And uh, Ivan McFarlane, I think, is one of the better players uh, in OSU history. Uh, that team also had a guy named Tony Allen on it. Uh, Andre Williams, Janava Weatherspoon, you remember those guys, uh, Melvin Sanders, Shane Gadson, throwback, shout out to my boy Brian Giddings, he's the biggest Shane Gadson fan you'll ever 
meet. There's not a lot of them, but he's he's the card carrying member of that. But not sorry, Dave. I, I gotta go. 2002, 2003 is that's an easy call for me. Um, but again, I think questions like that show you the nostalgia we have for Oklahoma State basketball and where we would like to go um, as as a as a program. So. Let's see here. Any more questions I got here? Let's see. A lot of, uh, okay, from my man uh, Dan Ingham. Does a great job down there in the Waco area. He's an Oklahoma State grad. He says, best closed down bar in Stillwater. Only one correct answer here. And he also asked, what's the best closed down restaurant in Stillwater? And I think I agree with him on both. Number one, it's the best closed down bar in Stillwater is Dirties. I mean, come on. I mean, there was a clear routine. If you were in school when I was, which was about 03 to 08, 04 to 08, right around there. Getting old. I can't remember the years exactly, but I think 03 to 08. That was the place to be. It was Dirts and Murphs. You went straight to Dirties. You paid five bucks at the door. It was all the long necks you could possibly drink till midnight. And once midnight hit, we all went over to Murphy's because that's when their drink special started. I had a lot of good memories there. Um, little band by the name of Eli Young Band was always there playing. They weren't very big at the time. It's still wild to me to see how big they got. It's like, whoa, they were just kind of playing off on that stage to the side while we were all just kind of hanging out and, and talking and trying to talk to girls and things like that. And they turned in to be a, you know, a big country band. So that was really cool. And it was always dirts and murphs for me. I wasn't a big I wasn't a big limey guy at the Copper Penny. That wasn't really my scene. Uh, Joe's on a Thursday was always good. Get you some Joe's cups. Wasn't a huge Eskimo Joe's guy. Definitely wasn't a big college bar guy. So I was, I was Dirts and Murphs. That's where I was. And I think Dan agrees with me there. Best closed down restaurant. He went with El Vaquero. That's where I'm going. So many times we went to El Vac out there off of Highway 51 as you're coming into town. And uh, I'm not, I don't go to Stillwater as much as I used to in terms of just going out around town. So I didn't even really realize it had closed down until uh, not that long ago. But, man, we used to go there all the time and, and pound margaritas in my college days. So those are some some good memories. And it is kind of – I haven't been out to the Strip in a while. I don't know if it's still smoking or not. I assume it's not where you can smoke in the bars. But back then, I think I might have lost a few months of my life to, to secondhand smoke. <laughs> they were so smoky. If you went to a bar on the strip, your clothes just coming home just reeked of cigarette smoke. And they were pretty run down, too. We've all been in the bathroom at Murphy's and, and certainly at Dirty's. And whew, not, not exactly a place I, I really truly need to, to revisit. Uh, from Kyler Whitis, can Ricky Fowler make a return to his former glory? Or has he hit a wall? Uh, it's pretty clear he's hit a wall. He's ranked 125th in the world. This is a guy that got up to, I believe, fifth in the world when he was making the Ryder Cup team, when he finished top five in all four majors. It's been very strange for Ricky. Um, he had a child. He had a daughter. And you question how hard is he really grinding on the range? How hard is he grinding in practice? The big criticism about Ricky was always with his sponsor obligations. He's so There's so many days out of the year that he literally is obligated to his sponsors that he can't be practicing more so than most golfers. I wonder how much that, you know, the farmers is a huge sponsorship, farmers insurance. He has so many huge sponsors and obligations. I just wonder if that's gotten to it. But the strange thing about his game 
you know, he's, he's done several swing changes, going through one right now. But he was always he was always one of the best putters on tour. Now he's one of the. It's totally bizarre. A skill like that doesn't just leave you like that. And so that's that's what's been killing him the most is his putting has just gone south. And that's where he used to be the absolute best. We all remember when he won the the players, uh, which is still his biggest win to date. It's next thing to winning a major. And he birdied that par three 16 island hole like five times, like between uh, his last finishing the round and then the, the big playoff they had. He birdied it like five out of six times. He played the hole. Something crazy. And that's when we thought, man, this guy's going to win majors. He, he was awesome. And he's kind of lost his game. And I hope he gets it back because he's he's an awesome representative of Oklahoma State. But, uh, man, he's you, you do question if he's ever going to get back to where he was because he's just he's nowhere near the player he once was. And it's just – it's weird. It's weird that he's lost his putting because that's the, something that – that shouldn't leave you the way it has with him. But Taylor Gooch was tied for the lead most of the day today. I've kind of become somewhat friends with Taylor. He's a member out at the country club. I'm a member out at, and we have mutual friends and super nice guy. Uh, I wouldn't pretend we're like best friends. I've just hung out with him a couple times, but you know, he switched uh, coaches to a guy named Boyd Summerhays who coaches Tony Finau. He did that about a year ago. And he's now made $4 million. He made $4 million in his career up to that point. He's now made $4 million in the year that he's been with Boyd Summerhays. If that, that tells you exactly how much he's elevated his game. I mean, he's, I believe he's ninth since the start of the 2022 season, ninth in approaching the green. And that's like the most important stat in golf. That shows you who's hitting the ball the best with their irons. And he's become one of the preeminent iron players in the world. And it's been awesome to see. And, Taylor, of course, Oklahoma State guy, played on that unbelievable Oklahoma State team with Kevin Tway, Morgan Hoffman, uh, Don Einhouse, those guys. I'm forgetting somebody off that team. It was really good. Uh, Peter Uline, I mentioned, Kevin Kevin Tway, Morgan Hoffman. Those guys were all PGA Tour caliber players. And it's, it's so interesting to me about golf. You know, Taylor was on that team, played as a freshman, which <laughs> tells you how good Taylor is. But those other guys were more highly touted than him. You know, Taylor coming from Midwest City, Carl Albert, uh, he was very, very highly recruited. Um, but those other guys, everyone kind of looked at Kevin Tway. He's the guy. You know, Morgan Hoffman at one point was the number one amateur in the world. He's the guy that we're going to see on the PGA Tour. But Taylor's had a better career than all of those guys on the PGA Tour. And that's something that's really interesting to me about college golf. It's not always the guy that had the best college career that ends up having the best pro career. And that just shows you how fine the margins are and how hard you have to absolutely grind at that sport. There's so many good golfers. It's very rare for guys like Victor Hovland and Matthew Wolf to go on tour and win their first year the way they, those guys did. Those guys are anomalies. And, and Taylor had to grind. He had to work his ass off uh, playing other mini tours. And he's had his card for a while now. But now he's becoming a household name. I mean, his every single week, he, he missed a cut recently, but... For the past year, his name is on the leaderboard or near it, just about every tournament. And that's that's a real thrill for a guy who's from Oklahoma, obviously loves Oklahoma State, and uh, he's a great representative of OSU as well. So while Ricky's kind of on the downslide, Taylor Gooch, is, his stock's going through the roof. And he's got a chance to win the Arnold Palmer, which is, other than the majors, the biggest payout this year. So he'll he'll definitely add to his, to his purse uh, if he uh, is able to get a win there, and hopefully he does. Let's see here. I had a question about Jim Littell. 
Um, I'm trying to scroll here and find the question. Let's see if I can. This is great radio, as my man Kyle Poor used to say. Well, anyway, I can't, I can't find the question right now. I had a lot of mentions here, but the question was about Jim Littell and is it time for him to go? And I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, they've, he's made the NCAA turn. He won the NIT his first year, went to the second round his second year, Sweet 16, NCAA tournament, NCAA tournament, NIT, NCAA tournament second round, no tournament. The tournament was canceled because of COVID. Made the second round last year and then he had a bad year this year. I just, I know there's this urge anytime. You're not winning at a high level with coaches. It's just, do we fire this guy? Move on. I just think it's a little early for that for me, for Jim Littell. I mean, he took over under just, again, horrible circumstances with Kurt Budke passing away in the plane crash. I think Jim Littell's kind of a kind of a lifer. As long as he gets back to the NCAA tournament, I think he's fine. Um, it's not as if women's basketball is, you know, a giant revenue generator. Um and again, I, I understand you want to win. That's the purpose of having the coach in place at, at all sports. You want to win at all sports. No issue's been great at that uh, for for a long time. But I don't I don't think Jim Mattel's going anywhere. And he's a great guy, good coach. Um, just needs to to have a, a bounce back season next year. Basically, that's how I view it. So I think that does it for Twitter questions today. Let's see here. I don't know, but this was fun. This was a uh, a fun solo podcast. Again, we'll get back with uh, Colby Powell once he gets back from his ski trip. But thank you to all you guys who put in Twitter questions for me. I appreciate it. Sorry about the lack of podcasts this week. I was busy with work. Couldn't nail down Kyle Porter for a time. Uh, maybe he'll quit big leaguing me, <laughs> and we'll get him on the podcast. Just kidding, Kyle, if you happen to be listening. But Thanks to all you guys who listen to the podcast. Again, I run into so many of you who do listen, and it, it means the world to me when you stop me and say that you listen because I enjoy doing it, and uh, I'm glad you guys tune in anytime I, I come on here and, and give my opinions. And, again, I, I try to bring you exactly how I feel about Oklahoma State sports. I don't ever like to sugarcoat it. I think it's boring when people ride the fence, and I, I try not to do that. That's how you get some of my bad takes. That's how you get some really good takes. Like Jelani Woods is a freaking stud, and I need to throw him the football. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for listening. I'm Carson Cunningham. We'll get back with Colby Powell later in the week.